Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Netflix's new original comedy, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. We're also going to take a look back at Steven Spielberg's 1981 classic, Raiders of the Lost Ark, because Andy and I, believe it or not, braved the theaters and went and saw it at a <laughs> for Cinemark. You, for yeah. you, for the people. It, it's true, yeah, for you guys, and also a little bit for us, because it was an IMAX. So we're going to talk about how that movie's holding up. I also want to talk about the theater experience. We're going to talk a little about when theaters are opening up again, because they kind of have, and now they're kind of not, and we're going to get into that in the middle of our show. Before we get to all that, we're going to get to news, and before we get to all of that, Andy, we've had a week off. I want to talk about what have you been watching in this time, because I've actually watched a lot of movies, a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, I, I've watched a lot as well. Obviously, we, we did a couple of trips. I did a couple of trips to the theater. I went and saw Mad Max Fury Road for $5, mm-hmm. which was great to see on the big screen again. Um, I've also watched Starship Troopers, uh, which I, I don't think I've actually seen in like 20 years. And so like, I couldn't remember like half of it. Yeah, like the Paul Verhoeven Starship Troopers, yeah. ultraviolent, they're afraid Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah I'm man, doing that- my part. <laughs> How does that hold up on like a theater screen? Because they always look kind of cool from far away. It's got that like Spielberg CGI thing they were using back then, where like it kind of blends with the rest of the movie, and you don't doesn't stand yeah, out too it, much. The effects still look really good, and it's still like a really good satire on uh, kind of uh, like hyper nationalism or hyper patriotism. Yeah. And I, I, I've read some interesting uh, analysis and commentary about how it, it's kind of uh, supposed to make fascism sexy or like seductive in a way Like you get pulled into like, oh, yeah, that's really great. Yeah, man. It's it's really got something to say about like nationalism as an ideal and like ultraviolence and culture. It's it's a weird flick, but it holds up if you haven't watched it in a while. Seriously, go check it out. Let's see. I've watched a handful of things. Uh, I have been discovering since I'm working from home still that I've got a second monitor. And when I'm working on like a project, I can just throw something on Netflix and watch a movie, which is great. And my problem is I've, I've watched like award winning films, which was way too distracting. I need to watch like trash. That's what I should be watching. <laughs> Um, I watched Dallas Buyers Club the other day, uh, mm-hmm. which I haven't watched in a long time. That movie holds up great. The performances are so good. I watched a movie called Frost Nixon, which stars Michael Sheen, Michael Sheen and, and Frank Langella uh, as two as, as Richard Nixon and, and David Frost interviewing each other after the Watergate thing. Uh, a couple other things I can't recall right now, but I've definitely been watching some movies. And also, yeah, going to see Raiders. And we'll talk about that towards the end of the show. Uh, one other thing I wanted to address before we jump into news. Andy, you were on the news, kind of. That's right. People working saw you on work- Facebook. What was that about? <laughs> working my way up. So I got the chance to do an interview with NBCLX, which is the local NBC station's digital platform. Um, so it's like their streaming kind of website uh, news app. And I got to talk about movies. So we got to talk about theater openings and what we can expect to see at the theater and when we can maybe go back to the movies. I know that's online and people can see it on our Facebook page and they can catch it on our website. Um, but just as a byline, like anything particularly revelatory in there? It, was, it wasn't a long interview, right? And you did get dressed up for it, which I appreciate. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, no, it was just a few minutes, about three minutes long. Um, and it was mostly things that we've talked about on the show before. What's it like going to the theater now? When can we expect them to open fully? And, uh, you know, what are we excited about in the upcoming months? If and, anything. Yeah, uh, definitely. And one more thing. When you were looking for somewhere to stage it in your apartment, like how long did it take you to decide that like the Shining poster was the thing to do? Because um, I appreciate it. I appreciate the flex. <laughs> I, I'm glad, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I w- uh, was originally just here in, in my 
you know, pilot seat uh, like I usually do. And I was like, you know, I don't like this background. Let me get a, b- a better background. And then, so then I kind of wandered around my apartment and I was like, Let, let's get the shining in the background here. Yeah. It's a good one. Uh, well, I appreciate it really. Honestly, I wish I could have done it, but you, you have, man, you, you catch one interview and you snowball it into a bunch <laughs> That's right? and you're carrying the Draper, the, the Dr. Draper thing through. And I love it. So thanks for doing it. Uh, my, my favorite part is that they say the tagline to the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, they do. And I appreciate it. Yeah, and they like linked us on Facebook and everything. That was super cool. So where can people find that if they want to see it? Um, you can find that on the NBC. Uh, it's just LX.com. That's their, the stream. And we're somewhere in there. And then I'm also going to be posting it. It's Well, it's posted on our social channels. And then I'm also going to be uh, posting it in our website once I get the raw video. Right. Uh, well, with that being said, we should jump into news. Uh, go check that out if you can. Uh, it's, it's actually some pretty good info in there. We might talk about it a little bit more here uh, in the middle of our show when we talk about theaters opening up. But for now, let's get right into the news. Our first story this week, uh, Batman Returns. Kinda. Uh, Again. So far, yeah, before I get too far into it, Andy, I forgot to set my settings on the stream on Facebook so people could see my screen. So while I'm figuring that out, do you mind telling people what this is about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it was confirmed that in the upcoming uh, Flash movie uh, starring, oh, I can't remember his name now. Um, but anyway. Ezra the, Miller. Ezra Miller. Th- thank you. Uh, Got it. He... <laughs> Um, that Michael Keaton, the original 1989 Batman, will be making an appearance. And this this is exciting for a couple of reasons. You can say, well, how how is that even possible? How are they doing that? Well, it looks like the Flash movie is going to focus on uh, the Flashpoint saga, which has to do with multiple timelines and kind of resetting and, and going, uh, you know, multiple universes changing things going jumping between universes and one of those and so what they're gonna do in the movie is one of those universes is gonna be the 1989 batman where michael keaton was who who played uh the cape crusader and that so we're gonna see him kind of still being batman 30 years later which is really really uh, metaphysical considering he played birdman which was about a, a washed up superhero kind of moving on and now he's actually going back to that I I'm yeah like unrealistically excited about this idea for for a couple of reasons. One, the fact that Ezra Miller's Flash movie is actually getting made because that's that's been a thing for a while. We've we've talked about it before on this show whether or not that was actually going to happen because it's rare that an actor picks up the mantle to write the script for the for his own movie that he wants to have made. So that's cool that that's actually getting rolling and it's had some assistance with the screenwriter of the birds of prey movie so that's another dc property and that's got a little backing there and it's going to be directed by andy machete who directed it chapter two so we have an idea of who's making it so it's coming into fruition and this idea of like flashpoint and jumping through realities i don't know a lot about um but i know that's a feature of the flash character you could talk more about it you're a comic book fan but Mm -hmm. Uh, going back to another film property in the DC universe. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, Absolutely. It, re- it reminds me of Thor The Dark World when for like two seconds, Chris Evans' as Captain America makes a cameo and like the whole theater cheered the first time it happened because it was so cool to see another another Marvel hero just for a second in this movie that we're watching. It's like this great callback. It ties into the universe. The idea of going even further back Jumping back through time, literally and figuratively, to another universe of DC where Michael Keaton is Batman is so cool, dude. And I know it'll probably only be like a four-second cameo, and Keaton will probably be on set for a day, and they'll have him sitting in a chair for his scene or whatever, and he'll probably totally be phoned in. But, like, just the concept is so brilliant. 
and such a great way to grow that universe in a way that the DC universe like desperately needs. Yeah, and and why this is exciting is this is what we see in comic books all the time, like multiverses and time, you know, time travel are are a constant in comic books, especially in in DC. And uh, to kind of catch people up on the Flashpoint narrative, so in kind of the Flash mythos, his mother is killed, and that's part of what makes how he becomes the Flash. And so what he does is he goes back in time and stops his mom, or he saves his mom from being killed unknowingly disrupting the entire kind of DC universes and, and creating chaos in the future. And so that's what that saga is about. Yeah. I think there's a lot of potential for this to be like really interesting and how it could grow the DC universe as a larger part and make it more cohesive. So it's not just like seven films that were inspired by Zack Snyder. Like it really becomes something larger. Um, and I think there's a lot of potential for that. Uh, before we move on to our next story real quick, I find myself incredibly distracted because my wonderful wife just crawled through this room on her hands and knees to get her computer or something and and (laughs) totally didn't just walk by i appreciate you doing it for the bit it's very sweet (laughs) you're fine i love you anyway uh our next story tenant has its release date pushed back again uh is this a surprise to you andy no, not not at all. And Tenet, and among other films, Mulan, um, Bill and Ted face the music, and a number of other films are all looking at pushbacks um, because the unfortunately the pandemic is not anywhere under control in the country. Um, we've had big spikes here in Texas as well as Arizona and Florida, and they need uh, for Tenet to make its money or the kind of money they want we have to be at 100% capacity at theaters and we're nowhere close. We're at 50% sort of. Um, so it's it's not looking good. No, the movie costs about $200 million to make and you're right. If it's going to make that back, like we need to be pretty much rocking and rolling. Uh, Christopher Nolan is very insistent on the theatrical experience. He is in all of his films. The big Tenet trailer that came out not that long ago definitely says at the end, coming to theaters. No big date, but it's happening. When we went and saw Raiders and IMAX, they had an IMAX trailer. It's the same one you've already seen. But man, it pops on the screen. It definitely says again, coming to theaters. Like, this is this is what he's pushing for. This is what he's going for. This is why they do their marketing stuff on Fortnite. They want people in seats. And right now is not a great time for that. We'll talk about more about our experience at the movies and who we saw, because I'd imagine most people listening to the show probably have not been back to a theater in a while, and we can offer some at least firsthand experience of what things were looking like last week. Um, But that being said, we'll talk more in our middle segment about when theaters opening up. It doesn't, just on its face, it doesn't seem like we're going to be at 100% by July 31st. August 12th still seems a little optimistic. Yeah, I, I think it does. And unfortunately, I think if this gets pushed again, it's getting pushed to Christmas or next summer. Yeah. Do you think that's a good strategy? You know, I think I would rather see Tenet in all its glory in a, in a full theater than somewhere in, in between. You know, you're, you're going to really you're going to miss out on, on the, the experience. You know, I think Fast 9 did a really smart thing by just saying we're going to push it a year. And, you know, that. You lose money on the marketing budget, but you know you can make it up later. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. Like I, I, I want to see this movie, man. Like seeing the trailer in in the IMAX theater was really cool, and I'm really excited about it. 
But if it's not the right time, it's not the right time. I get this mentality that, hey, some movie has to go first, right? Somebody's got to break that mold and say, hey, we're going to be the first ones to open up. The theaters are back again. Let's do it. But, like, the fact is the theatrical experience only works if people are going to the theater. And and like it or not, if theaters are open or not, like, if people don't have the confidence to go, they're not going to go. And that's going to mess with this movie and I'd hate to see that so maybe it's better to launch it in winter I know everything's been pushed back since it's probably a real messy schedule come November I don't know how we are going to keep up with it on this show but we're going to do it and if that's when we need to see Tenet that's when we need to see it otherwise I will probably go see it in August considering I had no problem going to see a 40 year old film uh last week so yeah that's that's my two cents anyway And we should move on to our last story. Uh, Amazon Prime Video follows Hulu and launches a watch party feature with up to 100 people. For somebody who doesn't know what this watch party thing is about, do you mind giving us a byline, Andy? Right. So Netflix has a feature, if you use the the desktop app, that if you want to watch a movie with other people, uh, your friends, you can click on it, send them the link, and then everyone has to watch, unfortunately, on their... um, computer but then you you can watch with a group of friends and there's a chat bar in in the right side so it's it's actually a lot of fun we we've done it and i've done it with some other friends um and now amazon is has added this functionality and it works pretty much the same uh you have to watch it on a computer desktop you send a link to people and everyone that gets a link has to have an account you can't just send it to to a bunch of randos uh, I'm excited about this. I was excited when we did it on like not knockoff Netflix party. I was excited when Hulu launched it. Uh, Amazon obviously sees the appeal. It's such a cool idea to be able to watch stuff with your friends. Um, you know, and it's, it, it goes back to just watching things in theaters, but being able to watch at home and chat and engage while you're doing it is really neat. Um, one of the things that really interests me here is Amazon is bringing in uh, series. It's not just films and that's a cool idea. So you could potentially binge watch multiple episodes of something with your friends if you want from a safe social distance, of course. I'd be interested to see how they're going to grow the platform. You know, add it, having up to 100 people is neat, but, like, who is going to watch something with 100 people in chat? Like, I, I don't like getting on Twitch and seeing a billion <laughs> comments fly by, you know? Like, that you lose something in the intimate experience of the film already going to a watch party. That many people might muddy the water a little bit. What do you think? Well, let's be real. None of us have 100 friends. Much <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> that are going to jump on. Like, I got 100 friends. Easy. You know, it's probably one of those things that that's just what the platform can handle. Um, and there's probably not a big difference between doing 20 friends or 50 or 100. Um, so it, that's just the upper limit. We I've done it with about seven or eight, and that that's a good good number. And and most of the time, you know, you're watching the film, you're not necessarily commenting the the entire time. Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, I, I would like to see if they could also work in things like images, because that's what I wanted. The few times we've done this, I wish I could send like gifts and memes and hot, stuff. Hot memes. It's yeah. All about the hottest, the spiciest <laughs> of hot memes. The dankest, yeah. Yeah, Uh, some of the things that will be available for co-viewing features are all Amazon originals. That's where they're starting. Things like Fleabag, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, Hannah, uh, Guava Island, Troop Zero, The Big Sick, The Boys, which also don't sleep on The Boys, by the way. I know know. this isn't a TV show (laughs) podcast, but hey, that that show is cool. Uh, Homecoming and My Spy. Season, uh, I was going to say season two next month. Season, is September. it really next month? Mm, uh, September. Right. Okay. I'll get down on the boys. The boys is good stuff. Don't sleep on the boys. Uh, rated <laughs> R though. Big, big trick, big content warning on the boys. Hard anyway. superhero hard, R. Hard R. Hard superhero R. Anyway, uh, this is cool, man. 
I'm 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 into this idea. I I think this is neat. I I can't wait to see when Netflix rolls out their version of it because it seems inevitable at this point, right? If Hulu's doing it, it's cool. If Amazon is doing it, oh snap! Like now now we have something. And also somebody's been knocking off your platform and doing it like for months now on a third party app. Like it just seems like a natural idea. Do it on phones though. That's what I want to see. Let me watch it on my TV and chat on my phone. That's the way to do it. Like that's. That's the money. Nobody's got that yet. You still have to use a desktop PC. Yeah, so, yeah. That, that that would be a really cool feature. Definitely some strong R and D that would have to happen. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that's got to be a nightmare to be able to be watching on my Xbox and chat live on my like that's that's a whole thing. I, I know nobody's there yet, but it's cool. Like I'm I'm interested to see where this goes. I think there's a lot of potential even outside of this coronavirus pandemic that hopefully we all get through safely at some point in the near future and with that we should move on to our first film of the episode i'm gonna be taking the summary on this one i'm gonna be honest it's clumsy because i gotta switch around some stuff to make it all work but the movie is eurovision song contest the story of fire saga so eurovision song contest the story of fire saga is Pardon the pun, the story of Fire Saga, a, a, a new wave band, uh, electronica of, of, of variety, uh, from Iceland, led by Will Ferrell, who plays a man called Lars Eric Song, and his best friend forever, Sigrid, played by Rachel McAdams. Uh, the two of them are this goofy, Icelandic, electronic band who are determined to go to Eurovision, which, for those of us in America who don't know, is the biggest musical competition in the world every year uh each nation that participates which i think is a lot of countries it's probably not all of them uh all send one musical act one band to go play one song in front of the world stage and and ultimately determine who is the best musical artist from the best country that year think of it like american idol but for the world uh, this happens every year, and in America, it's not something we pay attention to at all, probably because we can't advertise around it. But it's something that happens. I know a couple people from out of the state, out of the country, who watch it every year. It's a real contest, but this movie takes place in the fictional version of it. Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams play this goofy couple who are, well, not couple, couple of friends, I should say, uh, who are interested in getting in, and through a series of basically accidents and stumbles, they find themselves in the semifinals representing Iceland at Eurovision, the biggest musical contest in the world. And of course, Mate Rachel McAdams plays it pretty straight, and Will Ferrell plays not so straight, and, and, and ultimately, they've got to figure out their whole thing. It's a goofy Netflix comedy. Andy, what did you think of Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga? So I actually enjoyed this a little bit more than I thought I would. I, I thought the trailer looked terrible, and and Will Ferrell has not had a real great track record for some time. No. Um, but it's actually not too bad. It, it has the staples of Netflix, which are you know high production costs, you know, spending money on stars, but kind of mediocre writing. <laughs> Uh, so, but it, it looks good. There's a lot of really fun musical numbers. The comedy is okay. It's, it's mildly funny. There's some gags that I chuckled at. There's, but it's, it's not hilarious. It's not like a classic Will Ferrell, uh, comedy. And, you know, uh, Rachel McAdams is, is equally as funny. It is way too long. It's a full two hours and it should definitely, it would be at 90 minutes, it would, it would have been great, but it kind of stretches on forever. And it's a little bit paint by number. Um, it's, you can kind of tell where it's going to go. It's very predictable, kind of follows a little bit of that um, music, musical biopic um, 
framework. Uh, but overall, it's okay, and apparently it's been a big hit for Netflix. Yeah, uh, it was definitely trending number one the other day, and I think it was like number three the day before, so it's definitely working over there, and I can appreciate... Uh, the availability will get people to watch it. It's a new Will Ferrell comedy, right? And and America loves Will Ferrell, even though, yeah, he hasn't done anything particularly revelatory in a long time. In fact, I think the biggest downfall of this movie is that Will Ferrell kind of seems to just still be playing, like, that SNL cowbell skit. Again, it's the same. It's the same idea, right? You have you have a musical artist who is not doing anything particularly important, who is so devoted to what he's doing that he plays it way over the top and acts like it's cool when everybody else knows it isn't. It's like the same sketch, except now he's got an Icelandic accent. Uh, Rachel McAdams, like you said, stars opposite him. Uh, she is actually really good in this movie, and I remember she was really good in that one. One board game comedy too, starring Jason Bateman that came out a couple years ago. That was a comedy. She's also really good in that. Don't sleep on Rachel McAdams. She's cool. Um, but this movie ultimately it's got a it's got a 61 on Rotten right now, and like most movies who are around the 40s, 60 range, it's divisive. You either like it or you don't. And he thought it was okay. I was not so big a fan. Um, there's some <laughs> stuff in this movie that's not bad, but like man, the the comedy just falls so flat. Like the worst parts are the long stretches of comedy. Because they're not funny. Um, there's some things that are funny, right? You, you take a hundred throws at a dartboard, one of them's going to hit the bullseye. But, like, it, it it lands flat for a two-hour flick for me. But let's get into it. I want to talk about what works and whether or not it's worth your time. Because your time is precious and I don't want to waste it. Andy, where do we start this conversation? I guess with the plot, right? That's yeah, the best Let's start place. with the plot. So, so Fire Saga is, you know, these two... Lars Erickson, and th- this is a joke. Lars Erickson and what's her Sigrid? Uh, yeah, Sigrid. Uh, Eric's daughter is his <laughs> is her last name. So there, there's a lot uh, of small small puns. Yeah, see, you might miss it. Um, I, I, I definitely miss that. Uh, and you know, and they have this this band that has not been successful. They're both <laughs> middle aged. Uh, everyone tells them they they kind of should give up and kind of. Through through fate and chance, they get on to the local version of of Eurovision, and th- th- there's a big gag that gets them into kind of the finals and going to the end. And th- and there's a lot of kind of disaster humor, you know, where they go to perform and everything falls apart. You know, people catch fire or get dragged by this prop, or you know, that kind of slapstick humor that it doesn't really work. But that's a, a lot of what's in this movie. Uh, they eventually get to the finals. They are not the finals. They, they get to the big contest, and you know they, they meet a bunch of other stars. And then you know they kind of have a falling out, and you know the the power of friendship eventually gets them <laughs> back together. It, but it, it's really predictable. It's really cliche. Um, it, it's it's not great, but it, it's entertaining enough. It apparently, it was entertaining enough for Netflix. Right. So I, I did a little research into how this movie came about, um, and, and and I was curious how they're able to use like the Eurovision branding and stuff, and whether there's like laws against that because it's an international competition, but it's not exclusively American. This is an American film. It's directed by a man named David Dobkin. He formerly directed uh, Shanghai Nights, Fred Claus, a bunch of Maroon 5 music videos, and also Wedding Crashers, which is probably his most popular film. And he's also directing Wedding Crashers 2, because they're making a sequel to that probably next year. Uh, So that's interesting. But uh, apparently he worked with Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell came across this idea. This is a Will Ferrell production. Big surprise. Um, Because his wife, who is Swedish, got him into watching Eurovision Song Contest every year. Because it's a real thing. And apparently after watching it for a few years, he was like, hey, I'll bet I could come up with this goofy comedy where there's this goofy couple who are into this. So that's 
that's really where this movie comes from. It is a Will Ferrell product, no surprise. Uh, as far as like the actual production goes, we've got this goofy kind of couple, kind of. Sigrid is really into him, but she's he's not really into Sigrid. Not really into her because he's so focused on the music. Which is already a clumsy spot because, like, Will Ferrell is not a particularly... He's not exactly a catch. I mean, even with the long, luscious locks. Uh, yeah. And that's a little <laughs> odd. He is he is Pierce Brosnan's son in this movie. Pierce Brosnan plays his father, who is this widowed, uh, kind of sad guy who's just always been disappointed in his son. And he's got a couple of funny lines about being disappointed in his son. I feel like uh, every Will Ferrell comedy is about has a father that's disappointed in his son played by Will Ferrell. Yes. And there's also some, some woman who is attracted to him for, for no real reason, uh, because he doesn't do anything that he does nothing to, to, to it's fine. Um, but, uh, the two of them make their way to Eurovision and it seems like people start to discover, Hey, uh, is, is actually really good. She's actually a really good artist. Uh, they, they, they did her voiceover for her music with another Swedish artist. So she gets this really clever voiceover that actually sounds really great versus next to Will Ferrell, who just looks like this total buffoon. Right. And as they work their way into the song contest, she starts to kind of take center stage behind him. And then he gets jealous and he accuses her of stealing the act. And she's like, well, how dare you? I followed you this whole way. So the whole movie's in the trailer. You can see where everything's going. Uh, um, but even still, I think its biggest downfall is, like I said, it's it's comedy and it's time, like the, the, the run of it. So let's talk about the comedy and what doesn't work. And I do want to talk about the music <laughs> a little bit too, because and the, kind sure. of the production value, because there's actually a lot in here. So there are some jokes and some gags that, that I generally, genuinely laughed at. There's, a, there's this running gag about elves, which made me chuckle. Uh, there's, there, there are some, some parts where, where it works. Um, there, there's, it's strangely violent at a couple times, uh, which really threw me off. Yeah. It's also shock funny. humor, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but again, it, it's largely, it reminds me of super troopers too. It's comedy is like 15 years late or old and it's just not funny anymore. We've moved on to better forms of comedy, more complex forms of comedy. It just doesn't really work anymore. Yeah. And I, I, I also, <laughs> I, I also didn't like the way, uh, sorry, super troopers two threw me off. Cause you're right. This is a lot like that. Super troopers two has this whole thing about like goofy uh, early 2000s humor. Yeah, and like Canada versus the United States, and this is the same thing with Iceland. And like, rather than Rob Lowe playing a Canadian in that film, we have our two characters playing Icelandic folks in this movie with kind of goofy accents. Uh, it doesn't. I, I guess it, it's it's just aged like Will Ferrell's comedy, right? And like when we watched the trailer, <laughs> I, I gave it a really hard time. But it's the same. It's the same bit. It's the same bit as the cowboy cow, cowbell thing. It's the same bit, except in a different place and a different time. But like it's the same idea, and, and it just feels kind of old. And and some of the stuff that it's in here does work, I think, a little bit better. Like I said, I think I think Rachel McAdams actually kind of pops a bit in this movie, um, whereas Will Ferrell's just like. I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I wish you would take this stuff a little bit more serious, I guess, because it just kind of doesn't hit anymore, you know? So I think a big problem that this movie has is just familiarity with the source material with Eurovision, because I don't know anything about Eurovision. And apparently there's a bunch of acts, like real-life acts, that show up in this movie. And if I knew that who they were, it would be more exciting. But I don't. I, don't, I had to read the cast list to realize there were people and musicians and artists playing themselves. So I think that's a big problem. If you're in Europe, and I guess if this is great for Netflix Europe, uh, 
it's probably a lot more entertaining. It's probably a lot funnier because you can recognize people and, and it's, you know, like your homeland. The way I would compare it to is if you made, if he made a spoof of American Idol back when American Idol was uh, relevant like 20 years ago. Uh, but, yeah. that, but that would be, and if we saw a bunch of American artists come on, like it would be a lot more re- relatable. Yeah. So let's, that seems like a good segue to get into the production value of what's happening here. This is Netflix money. It is a Netflix film, and it apparently has always been a Netflix film. But like you said, in relation to Eurovision, this movie was actually supposed to come out about a month before it actually came out here. And the reason was because it was supposed to coincide with the actual Eurovision contest for 2020. Now that, I don't think, really happened. It might have, because we don't get news about Eurovision here. But I don't think it actually happened this year. And they ended up pushing the film back because it was like, well, if it's not going to happen because of the pandemic, let's just push it back. I think it was always supposed to come out on Netflix, but it was supposed to kind of line up a little bit more. There's, they're really using the branding and it's supposed to be kind of a thing, which is why they have a lot of the acts from the actual Eurovision. A lot of those are, are very bombastic and goofy looking, which is really embraced here in the Will Ferrell comedy with these ridiculous looking outfits and like hamster wheels and light shows and stuff. And apparently when they filmed this, they actually went to Eurovision and they filmed a lot of the audience shots. Uh, almost all of those are actually from Eurovision 2019, but most of the stage stuff is just a stage on like a set set in London that they like kind of placed over it. Um, and, and, and what's interesting about that is they use this goofy kind of new wave aesthetic that a lot of these bands have to lean into these like absurdist outfits and these absurd costumes that on occasion, you're right, can render a chuckle just because Will Ferrell looks ridiculous wearing this all white thing with like fuzzy Ugg boots. But for, for the most part, like it just kind of, it doesn't really help the cringe humor at all, I don't think. It just kind of makes you feel sorry for them because they just look goofy. And Will Ferrell's like 55 now. You know what I mean? Yeah, at least yeah. me. Yeah. It, it's one of those things. The, if if this was the first time experiencing this kind of comedy, like if you're 12, 13, and you're not familiar with the Will Ferrell back catalog, yeah, it'd probably make you laugh. It's probably make you chuckle. But like you said, it's just so old and so outdated but the production value is is good they 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 film in iceland or what it looks like iceland at least and they they also film at at eurovision so they're spending money on that the other thing i think that's supposed to be pretty entertaining are are the musical acts because there are some really kind of cool big over the top musical acts uh unfortunately i just i'm not familiar enough with the people or with eurovision to kind of uh care about it yeah, uh, it, it is a little gray as far as the palette is concerned for color, at least when they're in Iceland. But you're right. They went out to Iceland. They got a lot of stuff from Eurovision. Like the li- <laughs> I was going to say the lighting is great in this movie, but it actually is like it, it, it looks really good. It feels solid. It, alter- it does a good alternate between tripod and handheld. So the cinematography is there and, and they definitely can use a lot of like whip pans and fast moves to get a quick reaction out of people to get a laugh. And, and that stuff's fun. There's a lot of great choreography in the actual dances because they used a lot of actual acts from Eurovision and I think drew a lot of inspiration from that. Um, and while the outfits are kind of goofy, they are coordinated. Somebody had to put all that together, right? Like you have to have a costume designer that's making all this stuff and that matters. Um, so as far as production value, like it's actually pretty good. The music is also surprisingly good too. I, I forget the name of the artist they laid over Rachel McAdams, but she's actually, she actually sounds great. So while some of the songs are goofy, a lot of them are original Eurovision songs and like, Actually, pretty good. The soundtrack to this movie is not half bad. Um, and that surprised me. I didn't expect that. 
Yeah, the the music is like I said, surprisingly really fun and really good, and partially because it's not just Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams having to carry. There's a number of other musical acts. Uh, there's a I can't remember his name. It's uh, he, he's kind of the Russian um, rival, uh, played by Dan St- Stevens, who's got this great song about being like the pride, <laughs> the li- lion pride. Yeah. Um, and then there's yeah. uh, you know Demi Lovato's actually in this <laughs> this movie. She makes a cameo she is. as a performer. Yeah. With, which uh, is funny because I was like, is that? Oh, yeah, it totally is. I totally missed that. I would I would not have placed her. I didn't see that until I was looking at IMDb later. Like, oh, okay, she slipped right by me. But you throw on, you know, fake eyelashes and a little bit of makeup and like a goofy outfit. And like she just blends right in with whatever, whatever else is going on. But still a fair cameo. And I appreciate that. Ultimately, I think the reason this movie feels a little long at two hours is because the plot is just a little misguided. You're looking for like a central villain, right? And you kind of expect that with Alexander Lemtov, played by Dan Stevens, who is our kind of Russian uh, uh, antagonist in a way. The guy from Russia who's competing in Eurovision with him. But like, he's like the friendliest dude ever. Like, and maybe that's supposed to be like the counter to what you expect. Like, oh, it's, you know, it, it defies expectations. But like, because of that, it kind of lacks a villain. And and really, the villain is, like, pride, in, uh, Will Ferrell's yeah. pride in this absurd, like, bit that they're doing that, like, ultimately is not that clever or funny in the first place and, and really just feels like a weird commentary on, like, the film as a whole. Um, and that, that was weird to me. But, like, th- there are things that work. Other than the two-hour runtime, I think there are people out there who will laugh at this movie, even though I didn't. Um, McAdams pops... It's, it's okay i guess yeah so yeah, that, are you ready for go ahead well i was gonna say the the time is the biggest problem even a mediocre comedy is more funny if it's short than if you gotta sit through through two hours um you know because I, I was thinking of of other kind of over-the-top comedies that we've seen like coffee and kareem and the lovebirds which were both much more funny than this but they were also really tight they were like 90 100 minutes yeah yeah, I think that's that's you, I could not have said it better. Andy, would you recommend Eurovision Song Contest: The Story of Fire Saga? Um, uh, kind of yes and no. If you're a big Will Ferrell fan, if you're already subscribed to to Netflix and you want to check the check this out, it you know. It's a time. It's not a great time. It's not. It's not terrible it's, either. It's, it's a mi- movie. It's, yeah. it's mildly. It's mildly entertaining. It's. I think it's is better than most Netflix comedies. Uh, but again, it you and again you have high production value, top build stars. So you're getting that money's worth. And like I said, where it seems to always lack is just in the writing. Yeah, I I feel the same way. Like if you're real bored on Netflix and you don't want to watch anything that's like quality cinema you know or you don't want to go back and watch another will ferrell like give it a shot you you might like it Uh, it's it's really not that bad like for the for the hard time i give it i i just man will ferrell's comedy for me is like so hit or miss is his movies are, are either good or bad for me and it doesn't land and if you're one of those people you may not have the best time with it. It is not his best comedy. It's probably not his worst. Um, there are parts in here that work. If you're a Eurovision fan, you'll probably enjoy it. But ultimately, I, you could probably skip it, I think. Um, yeah, it yeah. seemed like there was a time when people would pitch comedies like this. Like, Will, Will Ferrell as insert thing. Will Ferrell yeah. as, you know, insert uh, profession. And this just feels like, uh, again, in a long line of that. Will Ferrell as... Uh, Icelandic singer 
Right. It's it's not that it's poorly made, but I think the, the comedy, which is the thing that's supposed to carry through the whole film, just doesn't hold up. And that's ultimately the problem. But decent music, decent color, decent performances. Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Why not? And with that, we should move on to our next segment. This one's going to be interesting uh, because I don't actually have anything to cut to for this. So it's just us. Uh, Andy, you want to introduce this? It's time for the death of cinema. So this week, we're going to be talking about cinema closures, not closures, but cinema delays. Uh, As we said earlier, Tenet and a number of other films have been pushed back. Uh, That has also pushed back the grand reopenings of every cinema. Uh, Cinemark, Regal, AMC, the big three are all delaying their openings to... They they were trying to open in the middle of July. Now they're all going to try and open by the end of July. So we got four weeks to try try and make it happen. Zach, what do you? What's the situation mean for us? Uh, well, it means a couple of things. It means one, we might get to see some more retro movies. That's, that's um, true. That's true. Which we'll talk about in a Raiders review. It's coming, I promise. So I, I'm I'm very anxious to talk about it. Uh, I I it means we're probably not going to see any new movies for a little while. At least not anything really good. I think we'll start to get stuff like eurovision in theaters we'll start to get stuff that is not actually like really quality movies uh we'll start to get kind of you know the mid-tier stuff uh there's that new gerard butler movie that is unhinged unhinged yeah i think that'll be out right like we'll start to get some new stuff things like the hunt are in theaters right now uh we'll start to get things that are you know mid-tier cinema but we won't get anything really, really great. And and I think it's just going to be a bit more of a slow ramp than like a fast one, right? It, it, at least in Cinemark's case, they might be starting to roll things back a little bit, um, which is weird. Um, yeah, Cinemark opened the earliest on June 19th at kind of, li- they, they only opened a handful of theaters, luckily a few here in Dallas. And they want to have all their, they wanted to have all their theaters open by mid, mid-July in time for Tenet. Um, that's now been pushed back. They're going to be, opening hoping to open everything by july 31st yeah and it's 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 a weird thing man going to the movies right now um you know i I think i i don't know like i I like going to the movies i i do and i and i want to keep going but kind of like i said last time on the show like i i don't really want to go unless i feel like i can be at home at the movies because for a lot of us that's that's what the movies are right it's 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 a church of cinema uh, as kevin smith said once uh, and, and you want to be able to go enjoy that for what it is. You don't want to feel like you have to wear a mask and be, I don't know, like it's supposed to be an escape from reality. And if you can't really escape reality, then, then it's not really the true kind of pure experience that you're looking for. And I think theaters are trying to find that bridge, right? Because not everybody feels that way about the movies. Uh, not everybody feels like it's a church of cinema and, and some people just want to go <laughs> Heretics. eat their popcorn. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. And some people just want to go and eat their popcorn and watch Fast 9 or whatever. And that's fine. But I think finding that middle ground in the middle of all this is going to be very challenging. And I'm worried it's going to be more clumsy than it needs to be. Yes, I, I don't think until you are comfortable with 100% capacity and being in a, a room for two hours with 100, 200 strangers, yeah, it's just it's just not going to feel safe. And, and it, it sucks for the theaters because for them, they can't have, they can't afford to have a middle ground. Like they're probably losing loads of money by being open at all right now. Um, but, you know, you got to feel safe going back. And, and they can do 
you know, and they've introduced contactless uh, or touchless ticketing and concessions, and they're taking all the precautions they can to make sure theaters are clean and safe. But you're still in a room with uh, a bunch of strangers, and that's just not safe at this, this moment. Yeah, and and you make a great point about what they can and can't afford to do. Like the fact is, uh, AMC was what. I think they just took out like a $180 million loan just to try to get through July and August and, and pushing back launch further, like only hurts them more. Every day those doors are closed, they are hurting. They have got to start making money or there's not going to be a theater to go back to. So I get it. Like you're between a rock and a hard place and you got to do something for your business. And for a national theater chain, this is a big deal. That's a lot of movies that closed. That is a lot of movies people can't go see. There's a lot of towns who are left out in the cold, do not get to experience cinema for what it is. And that's a shame. And I think it's important these theaters open back up. But I also think there's got to be a safer way to do it. I, I, I can appreciate the, the contactless stuff. I can appreciate spraying down theater seats between shows. There's a goofy video of, of <laughs> okay, let me explain. Cinemark, Cinemark, its headquarters are here in Dallas. It's actually just north of us in a little county called Plano, if you're not in the area. And and that's where their headquarters are. It's directly next to a movie theater. It's a big building that says Cinemark on it. And right next to it is Cinemark's like flagship theater. That's where they have The Void. That's their VR experience. That's where they run all these cool movies. That's where they, that's where they test like new promos for Cinemark. That's where that stuff happens. And like, there's a video from that theater of like some usher who looks like he's 90,000 years old, like wearing a face mask and spraying a seat with some kind of pesticide or something. And I, I love the safety, but it is the goofiest looking thing, man. And I laugh every time I see it because it just doesn't seem like the way movie theaters should be, right? We should not be having to spray our seats down with the light acid base between showings. And that's kind of where we're at. And and it's weird because I, I want to go to the movies and enjoy myself, but I just feel like it's hard to. And a lot of people can't, and some people just won't, right? And how, how is that going to help movies really in the big scheme of things if people aren't going back? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's just people aren't ready. And I think what this also means, though, is that streaming will continue to be king. Stream is king. <laughs> That's gonna be yeah. the new mark. We're seeing a number of movies that had were supposed to get theatrical releases get pushed and sold to um, to a streaming service. Yeah, and, and and along with that, we're seeing theaters they're really starting to fight over who who's opening when and 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 what that messaging looks like. And I know these big three, right? AMC, Cinemark, and Regal—they've always been fighting over this kind of stuff. But it just—it's starting to feel so desperate, right? Like you pointed out uh, earlier uh, this week when you found the story about AMC pushing the release back, you said, well, I wonder how Cinemark's going to react to this. And I was like, well, on the one hand, uh, Cinemark's open already. They're they're turning out business and there are people who want to go to the movies who, by God, they're going to go no matter who's open. And right now they're going to look at Cinemark and say, hey, you know what? They care about my goodwill. They care about my entertainment. They're opening for me. That's my theater. That's the place for me. And there's other people who look at Cinemark and, and shake their heads like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? They, they hear about Andy going to Mad Max and they think he's nuts. People are divided right now, right? Opinions are hot and you're right. This, this seems to just create a perfect melting pot for companies like Universal to get into VOD and, and publish movies like Trolls World Tour straight straight to home home theaters, right? Uh, uh, before they go to actual movie theaters. And that's scary. And that can upset the Apple cart. Um, 
it's a crazy time at the movies and I'm glad to hear they're opening back up again. I am, but like not if it's under the wrong conditions, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like you said, until people feel safe, um, this is an experimental and kind of exciting time for, for studios to see what they can do with VOD and streaming and, you know, a combination of their, because you had something like Artemis Fowl that just went straight to streaming or even something like uh, Scoob, you saw it for <laughs> for 20 bucks, and then six weeks later, it's on HBO Max. So we're seeing a change in the distribution window, a change in uh, rentals and pre and kind of variable pricing as well. I've seen new releases for 7 or $8 as well as 10 and 20 Yeah, and, and that does bring up an interesting point. Like, it is shaking up the theater industry, and that's something I think the theater industry needs. I think everybody can agree paying like $12 for a movie ticket is outrageous paying nine dollars for a bucket of popcorn sucks uh, uh you know buying buying a six dollar drink uh is is, is, is awful and, and nobody people do it but they don't like it right i i i, I worked a concession stand at a movie theater when i was in high school and that was like a decade ago and people it was longer than a decade just so i don't date myself to be fair and people gave me a hard time about it all the time like they still do that didn't that didn't go away people still leave their trash at the movies people still hate the prices like Everybody's got problems with the way it is now, and and if the consumers don't like it, it probably needs to change. It's good, but it could be better, and this might be, I don't want to use a term like the sacrificial lamb, but this (laughs) might be the, uh, the, what we need for that to happen. This might be the harbinger of change that we've been waiting for for theaters to to make, because theaters have been reluctant to change, and, you know, like, they don't want to compete with an at-home viewing window, but at the same time, if someone's willing to pay $20 to watch something at home, they're probably not going to the theater. Yeah, (laughs) if they're willing, of course, because we've had the opportunity a couple times on this show, and we passed, because $20 (laughs) is a lot. That's a lot to ask for a a movie at home. A lot of bones. when Netflix costs $14 a month, saying $20 for two hours of entertainment that you can watch once is a lot. Like, that's a big ask. And they're still, even that system hasn't quite found its legs yet. I, I, I do think we're finding some kind of clear path through this. I just don't know what it is. And I hope whatever it is is, is safe and encouraging and people will like doing it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I and that's my bit. Yeah, uh, and with that, we should move on to our final film. Before we get there, I want to talk about theater experience. Andy, do you want to give us a bit of an intro to that, or should we just start talking about the movie? What do you want to do? Uh, yeah, we can talk about what we went. So so us two and our good friend Matt, uh, we got together to see Raiders of the Lost Ark in IMAX, um, which we were really excited about for the low, low price of $5 a ticket, which is a steal. Usually those are $15 tickets uh, for IMAX. So it was it was a great, great price. And I, I've never seen Raiders in on the big screen. Um, so we were able to purchase everything ahead of time. And when we get there, uh, you know, the, now they have the QR code on your phone so you don't have to touch any anyone. Uh, Zach, you got some concessions. Was that also touchless? <laughs> uh, no, I did, I did have to exchange with the person who's handing me food. They were wearing gloves and a mask. I was wearing a mask. Uh, we all wore masks, to be fair. That's what we're about. Uh, concessions was actually really cool. So a large popcorn is $5. And a medium's like four fifty. And I have no self-control. So I was like, give me <laughs> give me like a smaller size popcorn. And the guy was like, it's like it's like a dollar to upgrade to a large from a small. And I was like, 
no, 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 I can't. I can't. I'm not doing it. And I was like, all right, well, hit me with the drink. And the drink was like four bucks for a large drink. And and he was like, I, he said, what size do you want? I medium. It was a quarter. It's a quarter difference between drinks. All right. So already it's like, okay, that's, that's, that's the price I'm talking about. Got, he said, got suckered. <laughs> and he said, how about this? He said, you think that's good? $2 candy. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> that's like, that's like Walmart prices. Oh my God. Like that's. That's concession prices I can get behind, man. That's the stuff I can rally for. That's great. And $5 tickets all day, even for IMAX shows? Like, we, I, we, we got ourselves a pricing model here. That's something people are going to like. If they had a theater that was open all the time, all the time, year-round, regardless of pandemic, that had that going on, people would go to that movie movie theater like nine times out of ten. So, so the pricing was outstanding. The social distancing was also in place, right? When you ordered tickets, it put us between... Yeah, it, rows it, yeah, they they had every other row w- was not available, and then you can we were able to buy tickets together, but then it automatically puts buffers on either side of you. Right, again, brilliant. The worst thing about the movie theater is the other people, right? Like, so putting <laughs> me as far away from possible is great. Uh, at least Cinemark in the past, what they've done is if I try to put a buffer seat between me and other people, it like stops me. It's like, hey, no, you're one person. You have to sit over here because if you sit there, it's going to stop somebody from sitting next to you. It's like a whole thing, right? And I've run into problems before. I don't want to sit next to anybody. I want to sit as far away from everybody as I can. If I could if I could book the theater for myself, I would. Like, that. that's what I want. And, and this is a nice step towards that. Cheap concessions, social distancing, pretty strong. Lots of encouraging for masks. Uh, uh, lots of signs up that said, hey, we're cleaning everything and disinfecting everything um, on your way to the theater as well as on the theater door. Lots of masks from employees. So pretty encouraging, I think, is actually going to the movie theater. I, I was impressed. I-, I-, I don't look back on that as a bad thing. Yeah, I I'm like I said, I'm worried about a big crowd, but for right now, to, right now is the time to go. If you want to go see any of these classic movies for five bucks with their, with like, you know, five to 10 people in a big theater, it, it's, this is probably the safest time to go if you're going to go. Yeah. Cause you're right. There were, I mean, there were like 11 people in there with us in like an IMAX. Was, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was slim and they were very well spread out. I, I didn't have anybody sitting near me except for a guy who was like, eight seats down that way who by the way and i know i talked about this when we saw the movie guy was on his phone the whole time you're watching raiders of the lost ark and imax and you're on your phone what's wrong with you sir how <laughs> dare you signs heretics everywhere you, you, you sully the good name of steven spielberg in the classic adventure film you you, you cad is the, is the worst thing that ever happened in movies and with that being said we should probably jump into the actual theater experience andy please take it away Raiders of the Lost Ark. So this is the classic 1981 classic film uh, by S- Steven Spielberg uh, featuring Harrison Ford and Karen Allen. Uh, Harrison Ford plays adventurer, archaeologist, Indiana Jones. We open up with him in the, the classic uh, South American jungle where he's uh, 
trying to, to recover an artifact and he has to dodge traps and and rivals and all the this great adventure stuff that we that we've all seen that's become I- iconic the the stone the the this part with <laughs> uh, switching the idol um, he is eventually approached by some Washington men some top men to recover top men yes yeah <laughs> to recover what is known as uh, the Ark of the Covenant which uh, refers to biblical lore which was the actual box that carried the uh, the Ten Commandments and the reason they want this is that Hitler is after it there's Nazis involved and they want this this box of power they don't know what it does they don't know what it can do but they're trying to get their hands on it and he's uh, Hitler is digging all across the world for these kind of artifacts that he thinks are very powerful Harrison Ford or Indiana Jones heads off to Nepal to uh, catch up with uh, Marion who's a childhood crush slash uh, situation ship going on there uh, played by the, mm-hmm. the beautiful uh, Karen Allen they eventually team up together on an adventure to discover the lost ark Zach man what think? <laughs> yeah what what a what a movie is what I think I haven't seen Raiders in a few years uh, and and Raiders was one of the first movies that like really spooked me when I was a kid had nightmares about it obviously because of the ending uh you know what? We don't need to say what happens. You've probably seen it by now. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark. But man, this movie is so much fun. We got a good friend who says this is his favorite film of all time. And he always says that. And I'm always like, that's the most, that's like saying Superman's your favorite, favorite superhero. It's ridiculous. But seeing this in IMAX, man, it brings it to life. Like in a way that I haven't seen it before. Seeing it on the big screen, like really blows up this adventure film into so much more than I've always known it to be. This is Spielberg at his best best man he was hitting so good when this movie came out in 81 harrison ford is fantastic the set design is great the lighting is perfect the story just beat by beat by beat is put together by george lucas when he was writing his best stuff this is such a great film it is a reminder of why the adventure film is the adventure film it is so great what what could we say that hasn't been said what do you think andy (laughs) It, it was really great to, to see it on the big screen. And me, as, as a music guy, um, love the soundtrack score by um, John Williams, of course, with so many classic yes. themes. The, the, the Raiders March, the, the arc theme. It, so good, so much fun. And it lays the groundwork of, of so many action-adventure films since that time. Like we, I was thinking, we have Mad Max Fury Road because of Raiders. Raiders w- <laughs> crawled so that Mad Max could run kind of, kind of situation. Uh, and what's amazing to me that I was thinking about is it's so much fun, and there's not really a ton of things like uh, character development. Like our characters are, are kind of the same the whole way through, but it doesn't matter. that They're in these, these um, kind of great moments which which i think they they were trying to mimic the serials of like the 50s like these adventure comics that they grew up reading and putting that on screen and you know looking back you know 40 years it may not look that great if you're young and you've seen a a ton of really cool action flicks but at the time there was nothing like this at all we didn't have a, a standard we didn't have action flicks of of this level and it's just there's so much passion and the mystery of the arc and the lore is, is also re- really exciting and it, so it's just it's great to see it on, on the big screen i had a really great time yeah, me too. So let's jump into it. Like I said, what can we say that hasn't already been said? Not a whole lot. It's probably going to be some rehashing of what's great about Raiders of the Lost Ark. But man, this movie slaps. First things first, we need to talk about Harrison Ford, right? Playing 
the Indiana Jones character. This is the only Indiana Jones film where he's not the titular Indiana Jones because he is not in the title. This is not Indiana Jones and. You might see DVD covers now that say Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Just like Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. That was not the name of this movie when it came out. It is simply Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that's how we'll be addressing it from here on out. This was the introduction of Indiana Jones to the world, right? Who we all know now is this great, wonderful hero and archaeologist who is willing to do anything to put things in a museum where they belong. Before the, before he became what we know him to be, though, he was just this crazy college college uh, professor who did some archaeology in his free time and was hunting for artifacts. That's exactly what's going on in this movie. He's got the bomber jacket. He's got the hat. He's got the whip. And it just lands so good. He's 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 he's, he's like Jack Sparrow to, to give him any kind of modern equivalent, right? He's this interesting, dynamic, dashing, handsome uh, hero who we love, who who has this passion for history that nobody else has. And he's paired with Karen Allen, who is wonderful in this movie, as Marion Ravenwood, who is this sassy, uh, spunky, bombastic kind of younger heroine who's alongside him and, and ends up tangled up in his adventures because, of course, he has to pull people into his life and his goofy things he's doing in order to find the Ark of the Covenant. The two of them are so good together. Um, they play off each other so good. Harrison Ford, like, he, 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 he did this movie after Star Wars. It was right when... He hadn't quite done Blade Runner, I don't think, and he ha he's not phoning it in, man. Like, you can tell he really believed in the role and was really going for it, and he, it, it just lands so good. He feels so genuine as this character. Karen Allen's the same way. Yeah, our, our leads are top-notch, and it's also kind of an ode to older-style filmmaking. If you were to make Indiana Jones today, which they, there is a, a allegedly a fifth film, or if you were to start a franchise like, like this, it would be very, very different. Um, but one of those, you know, there's some product of its time to issues, but also it's just, it's an older style uh, of filmmaking. And even things like, like the score, and I've said this before, we've heard John Williams' um, score making change even through Star Wars from the 70s to the 2000s. He, he is um, kind of mature, matured or modernized as the film. And so it, it's great seeing these kind of, the, the villain who who's dressed in black, our heroes dressed in white and uh, who can kind of, you know, aren't, this what's this is what started the kind of stereotype of like the hero can't be killed he can't be shot at or he he gets missed like that those kinds of, of tropes like this started a lot of the tropes we're very familiar with it also stars jonathan reese davies as salah who is indiana jones confidant uh in nepal uh, or not nepal in uh cairo they're at cairo yes that's it uh we also have alfred molina in the very early parts of the film as a pretty much completely unrecognizable henchman who is helping Indy out on his first adventure to steal his golden idol. And we also have Paul Freeman as Belloc, who is a fantastic villain in this movie, uh, who's really good and really compelling as kind of this rival French archaeologist who's out to steal pretty much exactly what Jones is stealing, but in the worst way, whereas Jones believes there's some kind of, like, you know, humanitarian way to do things, Belloc is willing to side with the Nazis to get what he wants. I, I, understandably, they're both in pursuit of history, but 
in opposing fashions and he plays a great foil. Uh, he always catches Indiana Jones right when he's got his stuff and he takes it away from him. And he's just this brutal rival for him. Uh, Paul Freeman, unfortunately, as far as I know, has only been in two other large roles. He plays the bad guy, Ivan ooze in the power Rangers movie from 1999. <laughs> and also he's in Edgar Wright's hot fuzz. He's, he's the reverend in that movie. Who's begging guys to stop shooting before he whips out two guns of his oh, own. Oh yeah. Now I, I know. I don't I know remember, how that guy, yeah. I don't know how his career didn't take off after this film like i really don't understand how he wasn't doing more it's crazy yeah he he is a great villain like you said he he's sided with the nazis and he's it's kind of a means to an end for him and he's always just one step of indiana jones indiana jones does all the hard work and then belloc comes in and swoops in uh after him it's a great rivalry a good classic villain yeah, and, and Jones in the color palette, right, wears a lot of brown in his outfit, whereas Belloc wears white. Like, they wear similar hats, but in different fashion. And it's understated. Like, people don't remember that about this movie, but that was one of the things that really worked with it. In the same way that Salah plays this kind of goofy Cairo foil for Indy, and then Karen Allen plays, uh, you know, kind of a female romantic interest that he kind of has a history with that they never really get into. I mean, even Indy's kind of mentor uh, in at, at the college he works at says, you know, I'd go on this adventure myself myself if i could like he they, he has this kind of interesting dynamic characters who move around him but indy is ultimately what carries us through the film and he does it in a bombastic fashion because there's so much action in raiders of the lost ark my god it never stops <laughs> yes absolutely um that's one of the thing things that i've realized m- more recently that half the film is literally action like about the one hour mark is when they find the ark um, in the well of souls and from then on out it's just action for the rest of the hour there's the um you know them have him having to break out of there there's the big plane fight there's the desert chase there's the submarine it's just like action 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 and it hardly ever slows down and generally that wouldn't work like that's generally not supposed to work in most movies because it's too much of one thing there's not enough character development it completely works in this yeah, it, it reminded me watching it, and like I said, I've seen it before, but re- it reminded me of Mad Max Fury Road, because that's the only other movie I can think of that has basically the same model. It is solid action start to finish with just occasional moments of, of breath and break, and when it comes, it's very welcome, and you're looking forward to it, like, okay, I can breathe for a minute, but like, it is just beat after beat of set piece, and this movie is much more diverse than that one. That is essentially one long desert chase. This is all kinds of stuff, man. Like, we're in the Amazon, we're in Cambridge, we're in Cairo, we're in Nepal, we're under a truck as Indy is getting dragged by his whip, we're shooting at Nazis, we're holding a rocket launcher up to guys. Like, it is just all over the place, and it it, it all flows so good, you'd think you'd get lost in it. And the reason that works is because of a very heavy exposition scene at the beginning, which I'd forgotten about, and you pointed out after we watched the movie. Yeah, in the beginning, uh, when we meet our top Washington men, our top uh, men, uh, they explain that they're looking for something called the Ark, and Indiana Jones immediately lights up and he's like, "Oh, the Ark of the Covenant," and he goes into this long spiel about what the Ark is, why it's important, but then it gets it keeps going because it gets into like the Staff of Ra, and we need a medallion. And it's just it's a little bit too much. If you've seen it a number of times, it makes total sense, but. If it was your first time, you might be a little bit lost. But it's funny just how much exposition there is in that scene. Yeah, and and I think you can tell it's tough to get through because, like I said, Spielberg wrote the bulk of this story. The screenplay was actually written by Lawrence Kasdan, who before this wrote Empire Strikes Back. So to give you an idea of where this is coming from, that's who kind of helmed this thing. But George Lucas 
front loads all that stuff to get you ready for the action that's coming, which is great. And it, it works fantastic. And you can tell Spielberg directing it back when directors really partnered with each other on movies like this or Back to the Future, which was a Spielberg production, but a Robert Zemeckis directed picture because two of them were willing to work together back when that happened. Uh, you can tell Spielberg in that opening scene is almost impatient because the way he cuts around that room and back and forth, there's some good exposition with 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 the chalkboard and Indy doing some drawings for some visual storytelling. But like he's so ready to get to the action, and when he finally gets to it, man, he's having so much fun with the camera, bouncing around this truck and the way Indy moves in it, putting the camera over here or over this way, and using a lot of tight framing and composition to make you feel tense, to make things feel claustrophobic when things are supposed to feel claustrophobic when. Indy and, and Marion get trapped in the Well of Souls. It feels so tight in there and dark and there's all these snakes around and the torches are going out. When Indy is running away from, from the giant stone at the beginning of the movie, like he's, he's running as fast as he can, running through all of these old set pieces to get us back to where we were. Like it just has this momentum to it that feels so fresh and, and, and visceral and I love it. It's great stuff. Yeah, it's like you said. It, it's so much fun, and these st- these stunts are so dangerous. Like, I, like I think, how did they do this? And this was also back when like the lead actor might do a whole lot of stuff. Like the the scene where Indiana Jones is being dragged by the t- truck is actually Harrison Ford, and th- there's no way in today's filmmaking world you would ever have your star doing something so dangerous. You would have the the stunt crew, and you'd have a really good stunt double doing that. But this this was the the 70s and 80s. It was a different time. Yeah, and it, man, it works so good. There, there's definitely some stuff in there that has aged a little strangely. Um, the depiction of the Nazis, I think, is probably pretty apt, uh, just because they seem so evil. Like you said, it's just like those old film serials. Like, these guys are all bad. There's this there's this evil character in here played by, I don't know the guy's name, because I don't think they ever even say it in the film, uh, Tote. I think is his name, played Pardon. by Ronald Lacey. Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's just dressed in all black and has these goofy glasses and he's got this hat and he sweats all the time and he is like the ultimate Gestapo. He is so, so, so badness all the time, you know, right? And that plays against Belloc, who is kind of not so bad, but he's ultimately a bad dude. Um, and that stuff feels a little... I don't want to say strain. In fact, the opposite. It feels very genuine for the film we're in. It's got this film serial quality, like you said, that just feels like it harkens back to an older age, to an older time, which, if film is a time capsule, ages this movie perfectly because this is already a 40-year-old film and it feels like it could have been made 20 years ago. Like, it just has this this feeling to it that's very vibrant. Yeah, and that, that reminded me of another thing I wanted to talk about, which is uh, horror in this film there are a lot of horror elements uh we see it at the beginning definitely at the end and and some other times of some things you would see in, in a horror movie and you know was, steven spielberg likes doing this you see this show up in a lot of his things i'm uh reminded of something like uh the goonies and definitely the other uh two indiana jones films also have pretty strong and, and scary moments Yes. Uh, Also, fun fact about the Goonies. I love telling people this because this is one of those horrible, bold cinema fun facts. Spielberg did not direct the Goonies. He wrote it. It was directed by a man named Richard Donner, who that same, who who also did Superman and Lethal Weapon. So weird Goonies fact. But you're right. In a way, it feels a lot like it. It's got definitely got that similar kind of vibe because Spielberg was helming it. John Williams music as well. I know you talked about that already, but you're right. The horror stuff is 
gratuitous. This movie gave me nightmares when I was a kid. And it's laughable now because it's so much. Like, in, in the opening scenes when they're working their way to the Golden Idol and it's just Indian Alfred Molina, right? And they're working past a spike trap and, and, and it pops out and there's this very fresh corpse on it that, that Indy says is, is another archaeologist that he knows. It's, like, horrifying. And, like, Alfred Molina's screaming and, like, the head just kind of tilts towards him and the jaw's all loose <laughs> and one of the eyes. Like, it's so much, man. Like, it is brutal. And it's practical effects. They weren't doing this CGI junk back then. Leading up to, of course, the end of the film when it, we've got an effect <laughs> with a... You, you'll know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about. An effect with a wax head that they melted with a, with a hot fan over, like, eight hours and then sped the footage up and laid it over fire to make it look like a head melting like just absurd stuff and that's laid over a movie that's full of action and also full of comedy a lot of great comedy bits in this that i kind of forgotten about over time uh things like uh oh, the, the shootout in marion's bar in nepal at one point a guy shoots a barrel of, of i think whiskey and marion before she leans over to shoot back leans over and 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 catches some of it in her mouth like she needs a drink this wig yeah Exactly. Funny. Uh, Mary, in that same scene, Mary, I just saw it on the trailer if you're watching this on Facebook. Uh, Marion punches Indy and you get this like classic, what we think is classic now, um, thing where Indy looks back at the camera and you get this funny reaction. But a lot of good stuff in there. A lot of horror, a lot of action, a lot of comedy. It makes for an adventurous film, which is what this is supposed to be. An adventure film. Yeah, it uses a lot of the tools of cinema to really take tell a fun and engaging story i'm also uh, to get back to the horror in the middle when they're in in the well of souls you know he's in the snake pit and they have to crash through the wall and there's a, a part where there's like a marion surrounded by skeletons and it was like that's pretty terrifying like you would be scared now if, if you were in that yeah. situation there's there's a part where there's like a snake crawling out of a, the, the mouth of a skull and it's like really creepy stuff yeah, that that the the skeleton scene in there is is a particularly good example because at one point there's so many skeletons around her, like it cuts to a wide, and she's just like completely surrounded by standing room only corpses, <laughs> and then three seconds later, Indy finds her, and there's like none to be seen. And maybe that's supposed to be some kind of hallucinatory thing, but like it's just a good example of like how far Spielberg was willing to push this way before he pulled back the curtain and said, "Hey, everything's good. We're right back to Indy. Indy's here. Everything's okay." It makes him feel like this hero, right? Which is exactly what he's supposed to be for us. This roguish kind of hero, which Harrison Ford is great at. I feel like I'm starting to talk in circles, but man, I like this movie. Andy, any other thoughts or for recommendations? I'm ready for recommendations. Andy, would you recommend Raiders of the Lost Ark? And would you recommend? going to the movies now <laughs> okay well i'll unpack this in, in two parts absolutely recommend raiders of the lost ark it's a classic film i i've watched it several times just this year uh, alone it's so much fun and it's great to see harrison ford in a classic role as well as seeing classic spielberg in, and the, the first three films and, and i've been fighting more for a uh, kingdom of the crystal skull um that, that's a better film somebody's than, gotta right than, than, than people rem remember but it's it's a lot of fun. You see so many iconic moments. There's the the golden idol, the giant stone, uh, the end, the face melting, the, uh, classic lines, the finding of the ark. It's just you see so many iconic things that have been parodied and mim mimicked all come from this film. As far as theaters, 
Um, it is safe-ish. It's definitely uh, assess your own risk, but I think now is probably a pretty safe time to go because there it, theaters are not going to be packed. Um, there are only a handful that are open, and they're only playing classic films or, or things that came out a few months ago. Um, so there's not a whole lot of people going, and it's also cheap. So if you go, it's likely to be a pretty empty theater. So kind of go at your own risk, but I think now is safer kind of than ever. Yeah, I think I'm just about in the same boat. Uh, first off, with Indiana Jones, my God, how have you not seen this film? If you're a younger listener and you haven't seen it, because I know looking at our stats, we have some, uh, please go see this movie. It's a little violent, but you'll probably be fine with it, like nowadays, because kids are desensitized to everything. Uh, so it'll be great. It's a ton of fun. And if you're older and you haven't seen this movie in a while, give it a rewatch. Raiders is so good, man. Like, I, I forgot how good it was. And if you have the means, my God, go see this movie in a movie theater because I, man, it totally changed the way I, I think of this movie. And I enjoyed it so much more. Spielberg on the big screen is exactly the way it should, he should be seen. And, like, this movie is a great testament to that. Now, going to see movies in the theater right now. Should you do it? Probably not. Probably as a rule <laughs> of thumb, you shouldn't go. But I think if you believe in taking some safe precautions, I think theaters are doing everything they can. You're right, Andy. Not a lot of people are going right now, which means you're going to be sitting far away from folks who are masked the whole time. If you're into concessions, they are super cheap. They're never going to be this cheap again. The tickets are cheap. You can see things in IMAX you aren't able to see normally. Should you go? Probably not. Would I go again for a movie like this? Yes. So enter at your own risk, I guess. And, and that's... That's our Raiders of the Lost Ark review. That's our review on going to the movies nowadays. My God, Andy, what a show. That's right. So what are we watching next week? What's the plan? So we are overturning to a new month. July is tomorrow, just around the corner. And mm. so we got a, a bunch of, of new things. And the big hit that we're going to be watching this week is Hamilton. I keep wanting to say Disney's Hamilton. Hamilton, which was going to be on Disney Plus starting Friday. This is, of course, the uh, Broadway hit starring Lin-Manuel Miranda as uh it's about elections presidents right it's a, i'm actually not real familiar with it really but but it's a it's a big hit it was supposed to actually come out in theaters next year next october and they moved it up to uh this summer so that's going to be uh, our big uh, a stage uh, uh, a stage musical that's what we're going to watch and then we are also going to be watching the christopher nolan hit dunkirk uh, from 2017 i believe um, which Zach still has not seen. <laughs> yes. Uh, two things about this. One, I'm excited to see Hamilton because like everybody else, it's been in, it's been in, in Broadway for five years and most of us haven't seen it. If you're listening to this podcast, I would bet you haven't seen it. Um, so that'd be cool that we all get to see it, right? The story of the founding fathers and Alexander Hamilton writing whatever it is he did i'm sure we're gonna find out that'll be on july 3rd on disney plus i am betting they're gonna have some server issues that's my that's my hot take but we'll see uh we'll watch that and we're That'd also gonna watch sign. that would be a good sign we're also gonna watch dunkirk one of my white whales of cinema <laughs> i've had the blu-ray for dunkirk for almost two years now sitting on my shelf i'm pretty sure it still has the plastic on it i don't think i ever even opened it andy has told me to watch it forever tenant is on its way eventually what better time than to watch 
a Christopher Nolan film, Dunkirk. So that'll be great. I'm looking forward to checking that out. Uh, and if you're looking forward to watching it, you should watch it too. Watch it with us and listen to our show next week when we talk about it. And if you want to find that, you can find us on Facebook at Offscript Film Review, where we do movies and reviews, and we do this show live with trailers and actual footage you can see. So check us out there and give us a follow. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and we upload our clips in our full episode to YouTube as well, as long as all, all the podcast platforms where you can find us. Uh, if you're not already on our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Man, I'm really winding my way through this. It's been a couple weeks and I'm out of practice. You can email <laughs> us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com to correspond. Uh, write us into the show. Tell us what you think about going to the movies if we're crazy or give us some recommendations maybe of what you'd want to watch and we'll talk about it live on the air. I promise we might even tag you. Might. I don't think I know how to do that on Facebook yet with our streaming software. But the point is, we're excited about doing more episodes. We're probably going to go back to the movies. Andy's been like three times, right? Uh, and 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 we'll keep you posted. So from all of us here at Offscript, is that everything? I think I covered everything. I think that's everything. I think that's everything. That's a mess. It's fine. Uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.